following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. All right. Well, good morning and welcome to the Church of the Living God. Thank you for coming out and braving the elements. Uh, Michigan, I guess, decided why not? Let's have winter this year. Let's give it a shot. Uh, for those of you at home, thank you for getting up early and joining us. Uh, we know you could fly in an airline, but we appreciate that you chose CLG. Uh, I, my name is Carl Mazares. I am the director of children's ministry. Um, normally, I'd be back there, which reminds me, Amy Gordon is covering for me. So if you see her this morning, tell her thank you for covering. That was really sweet of her. Uh, let's hit a couple announcements real quick here, and then we'll get going. So Sunday, February 7th, there will be a business meeting following the service. Child care will continue for those kids with, whose parents will be staying for the meeting. So it will happen directly after the sermon time and the music and worship and all that. We'll continue on with the business meeting. Uh, please remember to stay out of the gym. Uh, there is overflow seating over in this area there, and there are bathrooms back that way if you need them. Uh, the gym's got you know, soot and smells and all that sort of thing. It's not meant for regular people to be hanging out in there. So let's try to keep that clear until such a time as we have that ready for us. Uh, also remember that there will be worship at the end of the service uh, here in the lobby, and we will be singing with masks on. If you prefer fellowship or to listen quietly, please move over into this office lobby area here, and you can hang out behind those doors. All right. Why don't we go ahead and open in prayer, and we will do some sermony stuff. And then we can play our favorite game, How Fast Can Carl Give a Sermon? Dear Lord in heaven, we give thanks for this day. We give thanks for this time together. Uh, we give thanks for our church and the church body. And as we're going through all these different changes, as life is moving in both in the, the nation, in the church, uh, locally, we just give thanks that we have a church body to lean on, that we have good people here who care about us and who help take care of one another. Um, it's a great church, great place to be. And we just bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is a much cozier venue than the last time I spoke. You know, it's got sort of a little, a, kind of a tight, like, nightclub kind of feel, like the, the, the beginning of the Seinfeld, right? Like, I feel like you should, I should tell you to tip your waitresses, maybe do a little observational comedy. Hey, you know, how about candles? What's the deal with those things, right? Too soon? Too soon, okay, all right. So the last time I did this, I did a couple sermons in November, I do believe, and they were like these kind of like darker sermons. I talked like about why people suffer and what's the value of the church, things like that. And I enjoy those sorts of things, but today I get to do something that's a little more fun. And the amount of actually fun subjects you get to preach on out of the Bible are very slim. It's usually like, man, am I taking care of this thing? Am I doing this thing right? Am I being a good Christian? This one's more a little laid back, a little more fun, not as many personal stories. Actually, no personal stories this time. Okay, so today's portion, Caitlin, if you don't mind putting that up there for me, our first, uh, our first overhead. From 2 Timothy, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, so, question. He's talking about the scriptures here, right? All scripture. What is he talking about? Is he talking about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark? Is he talking about Acts? Is he talking about Revelations? What scriptures is he talking about here? 
Well, I think we can look at a, the verse before it, the prior verse, and we'll get a little better idea of where he's going at. And here, Paul writes, um, and this will be our next thing, Caitlin. And how from infancy you've known the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's telling Timothy, these scriptures existed when you were a child. When you were born, these scriptures were there for you. So clearly we're not talking New Testament because none of the New Testament is written when Timothy is a child, right? It's all Old Testament stuff. Now, there's a case that we can, can be made that at this point in, in Timothy's life that some of the New Testament scriptures are beginning to be looked at, the New Testament books are beginning to be looked at as scriptures, right? Th those things are moving on at this point. But really, when he's talking about what, the things that happened from when you were a child, we're talking Old Testament. All right. I love the Old Testament. The Old Testament's my baby. I, I enjoy it so much. And that, frankly, I do not like the phrase Old Testament, right? If you're going out and you're buying a phone, like, do you want the old iPhone or do you want the new iPhone? Clearly, I want the new one, not the old one, right? So, but the Old Testament's not like that. The Old Testament is the adventure book, right? But for one, okay, I love history. And the Old Testament is filled with history. Whenever people start talking politics, I always throw out old history stuff. People are like, oh, this is the worst thing that has ever happened in the entire world. And I'm like, really? Because, you know, Aaron Burr, like, when he was vice president, he tried to start his own nation. He, he was taking over his own land. He started a revolution and faced treasonous charges for that. Okay? I love history. I love looking at the minutia of things. And, man, is the Old Testament loaded with history. The other thing is... The Old Testament is where all the action takes place, right? Paul's got his letters, and he's writing to the Romans and things like that, and that, it's really good stuff. But if you want the action, if you want the adventure, am I making a lot of noise here? I feel like I'm probably bouncing around. Okay. Um, if you want the action, if you want the adventure, you want to go to the Old Testament, right? You want Samson slaying Philistines? You got to go there. A flood? Um, Moses taking the kids out of Egypt, or taking the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? All that stuff happens in the Old Testament. Um, oceans rise, empires fall. The Old Testament, man, it has it all. I love the Old Testament. If the New Testament is interstellar, the Old Testament is Avengers Endgame, right? It's where the fun takes place, and people being turned to salt and, you know, fire from heaven and all that stuff. But we'll set that aside for right now. More importantly, the Old Testament is the foundation of Christianity, right? Why does it matter to us? Yes, it's got the action, the adventure stuff. It has all the crazy things going on. But it matters because it is foundational. There is no New Testament without the Old Testament. You know, I think, uh, I think the phrase goes that um, the, the gospel is concealed in the Old Testament and it's revealed in the New Testament, right? They work together. They are two things that go hand in hand. And without the Old Testament, the New Testament cannot exist. So probably the most important thing foundationally in the Bible, the thing that we center our lives on is the gospel, right? The gospel is, is the core foundation of all things that we do. But, the, but that foundation is built inside of the Old Testament. So let's take a look at one of these things. Caitlin, can you pull up my next overhead? 
So when Paul is asked, give a description of the gospel, here's what Paul would say. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, right? Paul comes back to this twice, according to the scriptures. It's not enough that Jesus died. It's not enough that Jesus rose again. But these things were done through prophecy as they were intended in the scriptures, right? You can go back and look at these things and say, okay, yes, this is what was supposed to happen to the Messiah, and this here was supposed to happen to the Messiah because it was according to the scriptures. Other people in the Bible were God rose from the dead. You know, Lazarus got, gets raised from the dead, right? Through the power of God that, that happens, right? But it wasn't according to the scriptures. It was not a God-designed thing set out a thousand years beforehand um, that, so, that, so that we would know that Lazarus wasn't the... the I've got to catch my breath here. Okay. So that we know that Lazarus was not the Savior. All right. Let's take a look at our next one here. Caitlin, you want to throw up my next one? Thank you. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. All right, so this is out of, the, um, out of Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we get what we call the fall, right? You have Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Everything is perfect. God said everything is good. And then the serpent shows up and tempts them, and they eat the fruit, right? And this is what we get out of that. This verse here is what God says to the serpent for his role in the fall of man. So let's look at this a little bit closer. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, so it is a future prophecy. It is part of the gospel right there that the woman is going to have a child, right? Not a man, right? It's not the seed of the man. It's the seed of the woman. And that he is going to crush the serpent's head and the serpent will strike his heel, right? It is a prophecy in, in the third verse or the third, third chapter of the Bible that tells us what's going to happen. Isaiah 53 gives us maybe the best example of the gospel in the Old Testament. Caitlin, one more time. I've got to keep doing this. I get to actually tell her what to do. She's 17, going on 18. I'm losing the ability of, of bossing my daughter around. This is kind of nice. Caitlin, bring me a cup of coffee. All right. All right, let's look at this one from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He has no beauty or majesty to attract him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. all right. We don't get much descriptions about what Jesus looks like. We don't know how tall he was. We don't know what color his hair was, anything like that. But if you want, want to know what Jesus looks like, I think this, this passage here out of Isaiah is a perfect example of what we can expect out of Jesus. He's the person who was sent here to suffer for our sins. Our iniquity, our sins were laid on him. All right, so sins, that's a fun word, right? How do we know what a sin is? What, what constitutes a sin, right? If you ask the kids back there in Sunday school, they'll say it's doing a bad thing. Um, they'll tell me not listening to your parents is a sin. Um, sneaking a cookie is a sin, something like that, right? And maybe in their, their head that works that way because it does, you know, in a way it does, right? You know, obey your parents, that kind of thing. But really, the Bible would say not following a commandment, right? Um, and how many commandments are there? Any, any guesses on how many commandments there are? 613 commandments. And many of them read like zoning violations, right? They are weird things. But Jesus had to follow all 613 of these things, not break a single one in order to be perfect and to be worthy of being sacrificed. Okay? Without the Old Testament... We don't know what sin is, and then Jesus can't follow those things, right? It's all foundational. We build on these building blocks to get up to where we are with the gospel. Jesus quotes the Old Testament 78 times, right? It is sort of the foundation that he goes to. He tends to use two different methods when he teaches. He either goes to Old Testament or he goes to parables. It's a little bit different when he talks to his disciples, but when he's talking to the, the audience, to the crowds, it's either parables or it's talking about the Old Testament. That is his go-to stuff. Um, and he uses it to talk about himself, right? How long will he be in the, how long is he dead before he rises? Three days, three nights, right? When he teaches on that, he goes to Jonah for that. He go, in Matthew twelve forty, he talks about, just like Jonah is in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days, three nights. When he's in the desert and he's tempted by Satan, all three temptations, he responds with Old Testament passages. Right? He doesn't debate them. He doesn't use philosophy. He doesn't do any of that kind of thing. Right? He goes to Old Testament stuff. And what are his last words on this earth? You know, it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. For Jesus, going back to the Old Testament, was key. It was foundational. And coffee is foundational. There's no way I'm doing this without coffee. Okay. Uh, one of the things that Jesus teaches on when he does his parables is a story called The Rich Man and Lazarus. Um, I actually added this in on the way here as I realized that this sermon would go for about five minutes if I didn't add some stuff in here. But I think the rich man of Lazarus is an important parable because it says something about how Jesus thinks about the Old Testament. So, what we have here, I mean, no, I'll, I'll just read it. It'll probably be easier if I just read it. 
There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was, where he was tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. All right, so the rich man and Lazarus. You have this guy, Lazarus, who went over to, after he died, and the rich man who took no mercy on him. And the rich man is like, look, this is terrible, right? If I can't be saved... Can at least we send somebody, you know, over to tell my brothers about what's going on here, you know, kind of a um, Christmas carol sort of thing, you know, a warning from the other side how bad things are. And Abraham's response is pretty interesting. Well, they have they have Moses and the prophets, and the guy's like, no, but no, you don't understand. If if you send somebody from the dead, then they will care. Then it will really be a sign to them. And he's like, no. Even if, they, they don't, even if they see a guy from the dead, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, it'll do them no good, right? Moses and the prophets is the thing that you lean on, which I think is interesting since Jesus is telling this parable and he is somebody who comes back from the dead. You want to believe in me? You have to believe in Moses and the prophets. Look at one more thing here. One of the things that we talk about a lot as Christians is faith, right? What is faith? We've got to have faith, you know, and not in the George Michael sense, right? We talk about this all the time, being faithful, having faith. And what is faith? Most times we'll go to Hebrews 11 for that, right? We'll go and we'll read, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, okay? These are the things that, this is where we would go, okay? But where does the writer of Hebrews go? He goes to the Old Testament. The rest of that chapter, of chapter 11, is what we call the Hall of Faith. And in there, he, res he recites all these people who did all these faithful things in the Old Testament to prove themselves worthy. I'm going to cover the end of it because I think it's important. Quench the, quench the fury of the flames and they escape the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tormented, 
refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some of them were faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the desert and the mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And that's where the, where the Old Testament sort of meets the New Testament, right? These people had faith. They did these great things. Moses led people from Israel to Egypt. Or sorry, ah, other way around, from Egypt to Israel. Moses did not have a map, apparently. They had great faith in the Old Testament. They did all these faithful things. They did all these things that mattered, but it it wasn't enough. The Old Testament unto itself, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, sometimes known as the Pentateuch, it's not enough, right? These things lead us from there to here, from the Old Testament to the New. They show us who Jesus is so that we can move forward with him, accept him as our Lord and Savior, and move on. The Old Testament also answers some big questions for us that the New Testament kind of doesn't have time to get to. If you ever look at like the, the size of it, like I think like the Old Testament's like two-thirds of the Bible. It is huge. There's so many books there, and many of them are long. Although if you ever do that read through the year thing, you get the numbers, and that's like the bonus round. Right? I'm going to read this book. I can read this book in about 10 minutes because it's just counting down the people in Israel. Hey, there's a 500 people here and 10,000 people. Excellent. Move it along. Okay, big questions in the Old Testament. One of the biggest ones that I find that we don't talk about enough is, why doesn't God do more miracles, right? Why doesn't God just put up a sign up in the sky, say, I am God, I am here, I'm going to take care of all this stuff, maybe strike down some bad people, give good people good things. Why doesn't these things just happen and life would go on? Right? And then we would all have faith. It would be so easy to believe in God if you would just do some grandiose things. The Old Testament answers that for us. We get to see what it's like to live with God in our presence in a very real and practical sense. So when, when uh, Moses is bringing the, the children of Israel from Egypt into Israel, they cross the Red Sea. So let's think about what their life looks like at this point. Right? They have seen the ten plagues, blood to water, locusts, darkness, death of the firstborn. They leave Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. Moses parts it. They cross over. The Egyptians follow. The Egyptians are lost inside the Red Sea. And so you would think they have all the proof anybody on God's green earth would ever need to have faith, right? It's, It's all there laid out for them. You have no doubt that that God is there. And it seems like it's working out because as soon as this happens, they sing a song of praise. They are celebrating. It's all good. God is taking care of us. In just a couple of days, though, they lose faith. It it takes just that much time to when they're like, well, now we don't have water. We don't have food. God clearly brought us out of Egypt so we could starve. This This is God's plan. A few days after that, um, Moses is, goes and climbs Mount Sinai 
And they are making a golden calf. And they are claiming the golden calf is the one who brought them out of Egypt. The amount of God applying himself, I'm saying that wrong. God applying himself in the physical does not build faith, right? When we see things happen, it does not build faith. In fact, a lot of times it takes away faith because then we become to rely on him for everything. And that's what the Israelites did. If God did not jump when they said jump, clearly God doesn't exist anymore. God's not loving or God doesn't care, right? Having God in the physical, doing the great miracles, it's enough to get a pig-headed people across, uh, across to the promised land, but it's not enough to build faith. That is not what God is looking for. He does not view himself as a genie. Other big questions in the Old Testament. How do we deal with pain and suffering, right? We have an entire book to deal with that. Right? We can go to Job, and we can read that and, under, and read what Job's trials and how he experienced it and God's response to it. Now, it may not make you feel good about things. Where were you when, you, when I laid the foundations of the earth? may not be the answer you're looking for, but it is God's take on it. What about romantic love? How do we deal with romantic love? Does God approve of romantic love between a husband and a wife? We got a whole book on the subject, Song of Solomon. And, you know, you can talk about how your wife's teeth look like sheep. I, I don't know how that's helpful, but it's there for you. Kimmy, I love your sheep teeth. What about, why are we even here? What is the point of being alive? Right? The man's search for meaning. You got Ecclesiastes for that. You know, where Solomon talks about how he, you know, he went after wealth, he went after wisdom, he went after power. He did all these things, and in the end, he decides it was all meaningless. Man's search for meaning is kind of summed up in Ecclesiastes. Okay. The Old Testament is so rich and so detailed. I cannot commend it to you enough. Um, I think it is a, a portion of the Bible that we need to rethink. Oftentimes I will hear people say, um, well, that was in the Old Testament. Yes, I understand. It was back there. But it's all one Bible, right? It's all one God. He does not change. There's not a God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. There's not how God, why did God, why was he so mean back then and so loving now? Right? It's not like that. It is one God, one Bible, and we need to worship him. So, normally I would wrap one of these things up by saying something like, how is it with you? And maybe put a challenge out to you. What I'm going to ask is for you to take some time out in the next week or two. Pull some of the, the Old Testament stuff out. Read it with your family. Um, go over some of it. Go read Exodus. Exodus is a fun book. There's a lot in Exodus. And it's a high adventure. There's a lot of things going on. It's easy, it's easy reading. Um, read it as a family. Take some time and consider what is God saying back there that is relevant to now? Because I think you'd find there's more than you would think. All right. I am going to pray. And then we can do some music stuff. Dear Lord in heaven, I give thanks for this day, and I give thanks for the Bible. I give thanks for its total inclusion in my life. It is a life-changing document uh, for me and so many others. Uh, I pray 
I, I give thanks that you gave this to us so that we can know you better, so that we can understand you, understand how you would ask a, have us live, how we would, should relate to one another. I give thanks that you've given us this document so that we have something that we can build our lives on. In a world where the foundations are ever-changing and ever-shifting, it is a wonderful, graceful gift that you would give us the Bible, that we have this rock-solid foundation that we can build our life on. And I give thanks for the people in this room and in this church that we can work through these things together. And I bless you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.